What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. The Ravens, 2012-2013 Super Bowl team had three future Hall of Famers on it. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, they're already there. Terrell Suggs, very likely on his way. But guess what? There was a fourth guy there, and his name is Justin Tucker, future Hall of Famer. That spicy take and much more this week on Pod Like a Raven. Yeah, we gotta talk about it. He's a future Hall of Famer, he's the best kicker that ever was, and he won us yet another football game. I am Antonio Barbero, and I am steamed up to talk about a Ravens win that made the difference between a 3-2 team in first place and a 2-3 team with a home divisional loss. And we did it on the back of the greatest kicker of all time, Justin Tucker. And oh yeah, a couple of plays by Lamar Jackson and some... Nice defense as well. Let me bring in my co-hosts before we dive into this game here. Both of them on the East Coast. Both of them close by. Uh, both, who, I don't even know who to start with. Jace, you're home. You're in Maryland. You got a, what is that, an eight-point buck behind you on the wall there? What we got there, ten point? How many, how many, how many points are we talking? Yeah, well, that uh, looks appears to be an eight-pointer, uh, Antonio. That, I don't remember the story. I'll have to run that by my dad at some point. But, back in uh, Frederick, man. Yeah, back in Frederick County, back in Mount Airy, Maryland. Uh, was back in town for a lovely wedding, a wonderful wedding. My good friends, Russell and Haley, got married. Uh, Russell's a listener, so shout out. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really, really fun weekend. And uh, um, I, I finally returned home here and watched the Ravens, I will say. Uh was kind of very exhausted in a, in a weird headspace for this game. Didn't know quite what to, to make of it because it had been a fun weekend, really fun, really great, and I was just very, very tired and ready to go to bed. So I think most of my thoughts I formed this morning when I was able to come with coherent thoughts. But I think you're right. It's, it's a massive win, and it wasn't pretty, but that's okay because they needed it real bad, and they got it. And so, you know, I... The Ravens at this point were the only team with a winning record in the AFC North, which we'll probably talk about 
what's happening in that division later, uh, the rest of the division. Um, so it was massive. So they basically, they have a one game lead or almost a one and a half game lead on every other team that in their division. So it was a big win. I think it makes a feel better heading into, uh, you know, after, as we get into October here, we'll get into the problems cause there were many, but, uh, yeah, I think you have to be satisfied with the win at the end of the day. In a year where it feels like 20 of the teams are going to be eight and nine, nine and eight <laughs> or 10 and seven. It's good to get those last second wins finally uh, and get out in front of the North a little bit. Also on the West Co- or on the East coast, Tim Horsey, Tim, uh, how's it going? It's going well, man. First of all, Jace, I know this is a family show. You were allowed to say hungover, not just tired <laughs> and in a bad headspace. It's okay. You're, you're of legal age and it was a wedding. This happens. It's that's one of the best parts about weddings and shout out Russell. That's amazing. Thanks for listening. And congratulations, man. That's great. Um, I'll, I'm doing fantastic, man. It's funny, like, as Jace was talking there, he mentions, yeah, there's a lot of problems. And you guys were on the text thread with me. There was a lot of problems in my head about what was going on with this team. And I was, I was, I didn't sit down. I was pacing around my apartment. My dog and my girlfriend looked very concerned the entire time as I'm screaming and pointing at the television about why the left guard shouldn't have done what he just did and what have you. But the Ravens left it late. They made plenty of mistakes. And held firm when it mattered most and got the win. It's nice to have the Ravens back. So, yeah, I'm, I'm jazzed up. Let's talk about it. Finally. Finally. It's what we've been asking for for about three years on this show. Being able to close out a game in a positive way. But we're going to start with the beginning of the game and then just kind of let things, you know, devolve from there. A game that we were f- afraid of, you know, we were all sort of hesitant about the line. We thought the the betting line, I should say, maybe also hesitant about the offensive line, thinking this was going to be a back and forth affair. That since he could steal one on the uh, on the road, based on how Baltimore had looked the last few weeks, and then you start your prime time Lamar Jackson game, and first of all, the Ravens had two scoring drives in their first three drives: a field goal, a punt, and then a touchdown. They're up ten nothing, but almost more importantly, the defense had gave, given up one first down in the first four drives against Joe Burrow and all of those weapons, and it was the perfect start, the perfect game. You jump into the text thread of the three of us, and we were all, all of us, almost more annoyed that the Ravens had come out to a 10 nothing lead, <laughs> almost more concerned with how things were looking well. Uh, and we were right, uh, because things did fall apart from there after a very costly Lamar Jackson interception on another drive where the Ravens were seamlessly moving downfield to get into scoring range again. And then all of a sudden, somehow, magically, the Bengals' offense is moving, the Ravens' defense are on their heels, and this became a game. Guys, your thoughts on that opening start, and also, is it possible for one play like that to suddenly change an entire football game? Why does your defense suddenly look bad after an interception? Why do the Bengals' offense suddenly able to drive the ball downfield and get chunk plays on the ground, which they couldn't do in the first four possessions? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, from a fan point of view, we have watched this team, this iteration of the Ravens. You know, we titled the episode last week, Not Your Father's Ravens, because the old Ravens would get punched in the mouth and would respond to adversity. This team cannot respond to adversity or, or did not respond to adversity, uh, on, especially with that Dolphins loss and that Bills loss. One little thing went wrong, and the whole house of cards fell down. We saw it in the playoff loss a couple years ago now when they were 14-2. and two. All of a sudden, a couple things go wrong for this team that was dominating. 
and everything falls apart and then and you don't know how to handle getting punched in the face the ravens that interception an egregious pick by lamar jackson which he is prone as much as we love him he is prone for the bad pick was that punch in the face and it looked like they almost from a mentality point of view that they couldn't respond to it before that though i mean look we'll talk about it and it and i'm so glad this is it's funny because we haven't done one of these in a while where we can talk about the win. And like we, uh, There's been a lot of Pod Like Ravens where it's concern, 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 but they got the win. And I'm excited to do that again because I feel like we haven't done that type of podcast in a while. My concern was the offense. And if they had lost this game, I'm coming in here firing brimstone saying the offense lost them this game. Do not blame the defense. And part of the reason I say that is I'm going to look at the first half, we'll even say, even with the interception and kind of the changing of momentum here for the Bengals where it ended at 10-10 four plays punt three plays punt three plays punt three plays punt seven plays touchdown 11 plays field goal those two scoring drives happen to happen after the interception but the defense man came out mean they came out angry they came out aggressive we'll talk about Jason Pierre-Paul we'll talk about Marcus Peters learning to tackle a couple of times which was incredible um and so yeah, to answer your question in, in a long form, as we usually do here on Pod Like a Raven, I think it's really just a mentality thing. And I think this win can be one of those where it's like, hey, guys, look, we're fine. If something happens, we're okay, and we're going to be able to respond. And, and, you know, thank the Lord, towards the end, they did. That That's what I'm hoping as well, Tim. Like, you really hope this is kind of a, a monkey-off-the-back moment. Like, we talked about it, but, like, they have lo- had lost seven straight one-score games. Uh, entering Sunday night. They they lost five straight games at home. That was a franchise worse. I think it was just so important, I think, like for the trajectory of this team to, to kind of rally when things finally, you know, went off the rails. I will agree I hated them going up 10-0 because I, I felt like I couldn't even enjoy it because Hello, I spent the... darkness, my old friend. <laughs> exactly. I spent the whole time, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop and then... You know, as the interception happens and they immediately give up a touchdown in the middle eight, as we talked about at length last week, didn't go great. <laughs> Once again, Bengals get a field goal before halftime and it's 10-10 and I'm like, well, that wasn't bad, but it should be better. <laughs> and it, it, it struck me this morning, um, especially, and we'll get into, I guess, what happened in the second half here in just a moment, but kind of how things unfolded late. Um, it kind of struck me that this was a much more, uh, Tim, you kind of alluded to it, kind of a classic uh, Ravens moment where earlier, you know, the season, the two prior losses, we're talking about historical collapses that the Ravens really haven't seen much of. This was a much more, I think, in the second half, kind of a classic, just even really from Lamar's uh, interception, very classic mini Ravens collapse that I think we've seen a lot of over the years where it seems like everything's going great and you're like nothing bad can happen the defense is playing great and then oh they're down with two minutes to go so you know I in that sense I was like wow I've seen this movie before but it was weirdly refreshing it was like different to to actually have the defense play well for a stretch and then collapse versus just give up 600 yards the whole game so from that perspective, it was nice, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, they've scarred me, I think, with these collapses. I don't know that I'll ever truly feel safe with them going up 10 double digits uh, this entire season until they prove they can 
not let teams back in these games. And that's exactly what Lamar's interception did. It completely flipped the momentum. And then you're, you're in a tie game that you played really, really, really well in, in the first half. Yeah. Lamar with the bad interception, a couple of bad misses on some, let's say wide open receivers as well. But I will take one positive away from this game that relates to being able to close things out. And that was the improvement of the running game. Ronnie Stanley, Played a football game on Sunday night. He played about 10 snaps, or whatever it ended up being, 15 15 snaps. I don't have the list in front of me. He rotated in with Patrick McCarry, who also was back, which was also another positive to have both of those guys playing left tackle over Daniel Falele. And with, I mean, I don't think it was just that, but we talked last week in the preview of the Bengals game. The Bengals fourth against the run in the National Football League, and the Ravens were able to gash them consistently. They had 28 carries, averaged 5.5 yards a carry over the game. Lamar Jackson did not lead the team in rushing average. They had running backs actually lead the team in rushing average. There were a lot of big gaps, big holes for running backs to actually run through untouched past the line of scrimmage. J.K. Dobbins broke some more tackles. He looks like he's rounding into form. If they can do that against what in theory was a good run defense, that's the thing you need to carry over game after game to close things out. And that's exactly what they did on the last drive for the game-winning field goal is they had Lamar basically run it over and over and over again. They had a couple of passes at the beginning of the of the drive to sort of get things moving and then just ran it, I think, four to five times in a row uh, and got, got downfield into a fairly chip shotty uh, field goal range for the win there so it's nice to see that may it continue because that is what this team is supposed to be built on uh, specifically down the stretch to, to close games out and eat up the clock yeah and it's funny like you talk about that final drive uh, shout out to Mina Kimes from ESPN she tweeted whenever the Ravens really need points they start smashing the Lamar keeper and find Mark Andrews no matter what buttons and that's why you pay your stars. I mean, Jeff Zareback wrote about it in The Athletic on Monday. The Ravens relied on their stars to end this game for them. And Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and one Justin Tucker, who we will talk about, trust me. Because there are some stats, ladies and gentlemen, that are absolutely absurd when it comes to the greatest kicker of all time, as you would expect. Um, and, yeah, the running game, I think, was really important. I, I think it was, it was odd that Kenyon Drake was in there at the end. Um, the only the only sort of semblance of an explanation, which, you know, classic Ravens that we've gotten is that it was a pitch count and that, you know, he was kind of done for the night. But then, you know, I know Kenyon Drake was playing well, but on the very last drive, we can't, you know, maybe throw a few more fastballs with JK at the end to get a dub. Uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. They won the game. Who cares? But it, it's one of those things where you you are a little bit concerned the, the entire time I'm screaming at the TV. Where is F and JK Dobbins? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? you know, scrolling Twitter, looking for any sort of explanation. But with both him and Stanley, the plan worked. The plan was to get them on a pitch count, to get them, you know, kind of back into game shape a little bit more. The Ravens obviously incredibly cautious um, on on bringing them back in because they don't want a re-injury, especially in Stanley's case. And they both played, they both played fairly well. Um, credit, you know, I think the offense was objectively bad in this game I really do um and this game could have been sealed signed sealed delivered if they weren't staggering I mean it, it was legitimately watching your father's I'm going to reference this again your father's Ravens 
where the defense is probably sitting on the sideline like, what the hell else do we have to do? Like, Ed just took 175 yards to the house. We just got a punt return to get you to the 20, and all you can manage is a field goal, and it's 3 nothing in the fourth quarter, and we've done everything we can. It felt it kind of had that feel to it, but when, when the chips were down and when, when you went all in at the poker table, the Ravens got it done. And, you know, you can't say anything more than damn good job for that. I, I think this game, Tim, sort of really illustrated for me, you know, there's a lot of debate, obviously, about Lamar Jackson, his impending uh, pending contract that will probably see him clear $250 million in guaranteed money, I would guess. But, uh, you know, it, we got the full, I think, Lamar Jackson experience on Sunday night because, like, I, I, I think when he's at his best, I – I truly do believe I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. I think just his combination of running ability and just, you know, he's got arm strength, the ability to move, just play make. It's just so special. And I think we saw, you know, against the Patriots, he has five touchdowns for most of the game against the Dolphins. We saw that MVP for him. But I think what makes him not actually, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL on the week-to-week basis is just that consistency. Like you said, we, we see it. You know, he'll just go through these stretches where he's just inaccurate. And, you know, he misses Devin DuVernay on a deep shot. And then on a fourth down, which I supported them going for, fourth and short, you know, they'd run that weird play where Andrews lines up under center. Psych, I'm not running it. Lamar takes it. He has Tylen Wallace just streaking wide open, and he just misses him. And you're like, man, you got to hit those. Like, if you're the best quarterback in the NFL – you can't miss that. And I think we just see that, you know, too much from him. But but I do think, like, in the end, he, he still has so many just spectacular throws where, like, he hits Andrews from the end zone uh, when the, uh, to extend that one drive. And obviously we mentioned that the last drive, I, he touches the ball on all but one. He hands off to Kenyon Drake once. And otherwise he ran it every other time on that drive. I believe, and threw the Andrews on both their passes. So, like, I think we kind of saw, like, that's what makes him special, that that final drive, especially that 19-yard run that effectively set up the game winner. Like, he didn't actually even get tackled on that drive. He just fell down, which is like an annoying Lamar thing where he falls down untouched more than he should. But he's just so incredible to watch, and I think that's what makes him special and why I hope, obviously, the Ravens – Sign him to an extension because he does have that ability uh, to just change a game with his legs. Uh, and I think, obviously, he wasn't a great passer on uh, Sunday night, but I think he did enough. So, yeah, would he like that Tylen Wallace shot back? Sure. But at the end of the day, he, he, he got the win. And he's 40-14 and 14 now. It's kind of hard to argue with the results. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to disparage, you know, missing two deep bombs. It happens whenever, you know, he's not the most accurate quarterback, but he's way better than people want to give him credit for, and that's fine. I think Lamar is interesting because I think this was a very much of a test case of he's still finding that line of pocket passer v. rusher. You can tell this year he is hanging in the pocket more so than he would, and it's, it's causing sacks, and not even sacks that are on the offensive line. I think some of them where it's like, Lamar in the past would have gotten out of there, but he's trying to figure out how to go through his progressions more and go through his reads more and stuff. And that's, that's val- it, it's valuable for us down the stretch. And I think a real positive sign was that whether it was him 
or Roman or Harbaugh or what have you, a combination of the three on that final drive saying, I'm the superstar here. I can, t- I can win this game for us. And he put it on his legs, which he hadn't done really throughout the game and really throughout the season. And that's what makes him special. He is not Patrick Mahomes. He is not Josh Allen. And a better example, probably, he's not Brady. He's not Rodgers. He's a combination, a weird amalgamation of things that makes him a special, special, not only quarterback, but football player. And I think that is, there's been nobody else like this. He is more talented than a Michael Vick. Like, and I, you know, I don't think people make that comparison anymore, and that's fine. He's much better. He's a much better passer than that. With that same incredible ability, escapability, and speed from the quarterback position, and finding that balance of when to not overdo it on either side, but use them both to their full potential in any given situation is tough. And it's something that he's going to have to figure out and the Ravens are going to have to figure out. I want to talk about the fourth downs a little bit. Uh, and I know Antonio, I don't want to go all too off script here, but it's such a weird, these two fourth downs, right? The Tylen Wallace play and then, and then the not going for it on fourth down and kicking the field goal to make it 16, uh, 16, 10, and, you know, it ended up working out, and Harbaugh's like, oh, it's just a football thing. Yeah, because you won. It's words I can't say. Um, <laughs> the, the first fourth down. I think it's weird, and maybe it's just because the way it was shot and whatever, and Tariko doing, you know, frankly, a horrible job trying to describe what was going on. We miss you, Al. Um, it almost seemed like he kind of did the whole – I'm just going to let Lamar take the blame for this. Like, he's just standing there, and Lamar's, like, pushing him. Like, no, we're going for this. We're going for this. And you want to trust your players, and we've talked about it the moment in Seattle, what have you. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it almost was like Lamar or John Harbaugh as the coach needed to take control in that situation because everything seemed rushed. They were like, we're going to do the Sandlot play. Remember that play we did in August? It was sweet. We're going to do the Sandlot play. Get off the field. We're going to do it now. It's going to happen now. And there was no... Because athletes are always going to want to do the cool stuff, right? Athletes never want to come off the field. Athletes, concussed athletes, want to stay in games, things like that. That, to me, and I know we'll talk about the other fourth down later, but that, to me, and I don't know what you guys think about this, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, seemed like a moment where Harbaugh, as the head coach of this football team, really needed to take charge and say, hold on, let's take a breath here. Because everything seemed rushed, and... Because of that, Lamar's amped up, and because of he's amped up, he throws it way too far to Tylen Wallace, and it ends up being, you know, shout out Patty Queen for literally one play later giving the ball back to the Ravens. But if that didn't happen, that could have been disastrous. And it all just seemed like bad coaching, bad management, and frankly, a, a sort of unpreparedness that you're not expecting from John Harbaugh. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he wanted to go for it in that instance, but I think – he first of all I think he loves Lamar Jackson second of all he loves being like the player's coach and the hesitation was one of the first times where in his mind the answer was no not maybe but the quarterback is saying let's go let's go let's go and I I want to give him a tiny bit of credit that he deferred in that situation when he's sort of between these two you know the his own personal decision at the time or thought at the time versus quarterback really backing him up in a way. He is always the fourth down, you know, go for it on fourth down guy, and his quarterback isn't afraid to do it, even though it's failed a couple of times. So you want to run with that confidence. 
and it should have been a freaking touchdown and not even a first down it should have been a touchdown and then i think after the fact that that failed he then had he didn't have to then pull lamar jackson off the field in those other instances which was the very next possession when they ended up with the ball on the same exact yard line i think by a yard they were on the 40 instead of the 41 and they had another fourth down and they just said kick it like time to kick it even though it's a 58-yard field goal, they knew it immediately. And Justin Tucker drilled it. And then at the end of the game, uh, well, not the last, you know, their second-to-last drive, when they get into the the fourth and one at the three, and he had already made his decision at that point, and you kind of, I think the quarterback kind of gets one in a game where he gets to decide what to do, and you kind of have to feel that out and let him roll with it if he's feeling confident. And then that was it. And now he's the coach and he makes the decisions after that. And he didn't get pushback from Jackson either. He sort of respected the decisions after he had given him one to try. And he messed it up, too. That's the other part that I think is, is kind of big here. Jackson wanted to stay in the field and he's the guy who missed the throw by, by 5, 10 yards. I, I just think that's such a difficult relationship that the head coach has to manage constantly. Um and he's in a place where he wants to be on Lamar Jackson's good side at all times, and I think that factors into letting the quarterback have one. When it's his team, he's you know, he's not a rookie anymore, um, and he's earned that respect that when he wants to try to push it, um, Harbaugh's going to let him let him do it maybe once and then, and then take <laughs> over after that. Well, and, and I wondered, Antonio, too, this was like a very weird game, like in the end, like just the way things unfolded, because you have what the Ravens did on fourth down. But then I also wonder if on that final fourth down where, you know, he decides to to take the points after uh, to go up six, you wonder if past weeks play into it. You just saw the Bengals go on a 15 play, 73 yard drive uh, that goes over eight minutes and it also ends on downs due to some. Very questionable play calling by the Bengals. A Philly mm. special that did not work. A shovel pass that Marcus also... Peters is a dog. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I don't know what got into him. He decided to become the the best tackler on the team uh, for a night. But uh, yeah, and then they they have the shovel pass doesn't work. And I wonder if he sees that and the Ravens just go on their very own 15 play 91 yard drive also eight minutes and three seconds Bengals was eight minutes and four seconds and he just says you know like we have to get something on this i kind of thought he should go for it at the time but that was one where i was like i don't know like i this this was the point of the night where i was so tired i was like i don't i don't know what the right decision is anymore <laughs> so so i'll admit i didn't you know he took the points and i said ah maybe it'll work out it didn't because as i kind of mentioned this was for me, the classic Ravens thing of the defense played so well until they needed to get a stop to win and then didn't, uh, probably giving up the longest play of the drive. But it, it did end up working out in the end in the sense that, you know, they, they do put themselves in a position still, even though you'd love to get a stop personally uh, and just win the game on defense. You you do get the ball back with plenty of time. You get yourself in field goal position uh it, it, with plenty of room uh for yeah the best to ever do it so i think it worked out in the end but i i'd love for uh i john harbaugh and like brandon staley as well but morris john harbaugh i feel like has been like the focal point for this analytics debate for several years now and i'd love for the ravens to just start playing normal games where this doesn't become a weekly topic <laughs> jace i'm gonna push back on that last fourth down decision a little bit because you said 
I'm you know, I'm going to read through the transcript here. You said that the decision ended up not working because the Bengals then scored a touchdown on the next possession. I don't I don't know if I agree with that. There were still 8 minutes, 9 minutes left in the game when they made this decision. So I think part of it has to include if you go up by a touchdown, even if the Bengals score and get the extra point, you are less than a field goal from retaking the lead with a lot of time with the best kicker in the NFL. And I think that played a part in this decision. This was not one where they were tied or they were losing. They were already up in a game that the Bengals had struggled to score touchdowns. Make it a touchdown. Make the Bengals earn it, which, give them credit, they did. But the Ravens were able to drive and get into field goal range basically on four plays. It, they didn't even really take like a minute, I think. They used maybe a minute realistically, and then were strategically trying to burn the clock, you know, run the clock all the way down to use up the timeouts. I kind of like this one, and I'm a go for it in those situations. But it's like, the, for me, it was if you fail, and then the Bengals go down and get a touchdown, now you need a touchdown. Field goal's no good anymore. Uh, take the points, make them earn the touchdown that at the time they had really struggled to get, even at the, by the Bengals' own attempts had seemingly made it harder than necessary to get, <laughs> to get a touchdown. Uh, and then if they do, you're still very much in, I mean, more than in the game. You were less than a field goal from taking the lead, not tying it or getting close and all this. So I, I kind of like that based on them having a lead in that situation, the low score at the time, and the fact that there were still nine, I think it was eight plus minutes left or nine minutes left in the game. It's funny. I'm, I'm trying to read back through the, the messages that I have with you guys. And, um, there's a lot of swearing that's that's <laughs> noted in here and there's a lot of here blank you and your blanking refs you punks blank off defense are three separate t- t- uh, texts that i sent here and then we get into harbaugh just i'm trying to think of a way to phrase this that i can say on the podcast uh chickened out it seemed like and look i don't hindsight's 2020 would have you i don't know if i have an opinion on whether it was a right decision or wrong decision in the moment. What I'm wrestling with still is I don't think I'm, and maybe I'm just not giving him enough credit, but I don't think Harbaugh in his head, it was the game situation. Here's what we're going to do. I admittedly think he heard the critics and I think he heard the situation and he felt that crowd who, by the way, shout out crowd. They were up they were up for it last night he kind of felt that anxiety from this crowd of, Oh, here we go again. What do we do now? And it almost turned into a, well, this one fourth down didn't work. And he was like second guessing himself, which is the thing that I'm worried about. You don't want him second guessing himself. If he comes out and says, yeah, he's never going to tell you cause he's John Harbaugh, but like, <laughs> here's what we were thinking. This is the situation would have you and look, it worked out. So shut up. Fine. Great. That's okay. But just like the first fourth down, and this is why I brought them up together when we started this conversation, there was an air of uncertainty around all of it where, you know, and we talked about this last week. You know, I, I remember listening to Pardon My Take, and look, that's not the most analytical podcast of all time, but I thought one of them made a really good point about it of people were criticizing, I, me myself, criticizing Harbaugh for the fourth down against the Bills. But if you're going to be that guy, you're going to be that guy. And you're going to go for it in that situation. That's your team identity. And everybody's kind of on the same page. It didn't seem like that on either of these fourth down calls. And look, it worked. And we flew by the seat of our pants. And that's fine. 
but you're not going to get away with that every week. And there needs to be more of a, uh, I'm all for like, there's a blend between analytics and feeling the game. Like, I don't think either one is right uh, themselves. It's not black or white, which, you know, most people want to tell you because people just love to scream on Twitter. That's not the case. (laughs) It's a blend of those things. It's a blend of feeling the game and understanding momentum and understanding that you haven't, you only gave up one 15 yard pass to, um, to Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase, by the way, does not own Marlon Humphrey. Shout out Marlon for all the stick we've given him in the past few weeks. Understanding that game situation, but then also understanding the statistical breakdown of the likelihood of winning after doing certain plays in certain situations. And it didn't feel like they knew what they were doing on either of those. It kind of just felt like a F it, let's go. So it's a very roundabout way of saying it worked out, so it's hard to complain about it now. I was certainly furious in the moment because I felt like the team, the way that offense at least was running the ball. Again, I don't think they played very well, but at least was running the ball. They could have gotten that inch and punched it in. But, you know, it worked out. Who are we to question? I just hope that in the coming weeks, and and maybe it's just me having this feeling, there's more of a certainty to what's going on, not just a, uh, 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 uh. And, like, the the guy sweating meme, like, picking the buttons, if you know what I'm talking (laughs) about. Like, the, the sweating, trying to do the red button thing. That's what I worry about with this Ravens team. And, you know, there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. And hopefully I'm, I don't just, you know, have a bad feeling because I have a bad feeling. But we'll have to see. Let's run through some players now, some individual performances. Because uh, Tim talked about the criticism that we give Marlon Humphrey. There's another guy that we give a lot of criticism to, and that's Patrick Queen. And he caught, he caught a ball. He caught an interception. And that was exciting. And it actually was at a pivotal point in the game. And I... Could not believe it. Uh, so, you know, hats off to Patrick Queen. He was very pumped up. He was silencing all the haters uh, after he made that play, running running to do the end zone on camera thing or whatever that the defenses all still do after turnovers. Just need another, like, dozen of those, and then we're at break even with Patrick Queen. Uh, lo- love you, Patrick Queen. Jace- Jason Pierre-Paul. The, the the whatever signing a couple of weeks ago looks like a nice little fit here. He he's like seven feet tall. <laughs> it's 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 weird, Antonio, because it's like on the one hand I'm like it's probably bad that this guy you signed three weeks ago is a suddenly pivotal part of what you're doing on defense. But he's been really impressive, I think, for the Ravens. You know, in this game he has two pass deflections. He has a credited with a sack I, he just has a really strong game and I mean really the defense as a whole I know I mentioned like I would have loved a stop on that final Bengals drive so that heroics are not needed from the offense but you know I think on the whole it's still hard to quibble with what they did I mean Tim you mentioned it they didn't give up a uh, they Bengals had one play above 20 yards the entire night which is like the opposite of how everything went against the Bengals last season for the Ravens. Uh, I I thought they got after Burrow a decent amount. Uh, You know, his line, 24 for 35, 217 yards. Uh, He had an interception. He had over 400 yards in both games last year, nearly 500. Well, he had 501, nearly 500 in another. And and so I think to just kind of quiet them in that way is just so big. You give up just, just 17 points. Uh, to the Bengals against, and you know, though it was a collapse and annoying, they, they, at the end of the day, they only gave up 23 to the Bills last week. 
So it does seem like they're making some strides. Of course, this comes with the caveat that Marcus Williams uh, dislocated his wrist and is on going on IR, which... If you would have asked me problem. the timetable for a dislocated wrist, I would have said two weeks. I thought, I thought that was like the shoulder. You just pop it back in, and then you need some rest, and you're good to go. It's not that, Chase. No. No, he's he's gone for a while, and, and in this game, he didn't play the entire second half. A lot of Geno Stone. Uh, seems like there's a lot of Geno Stone. Interesting slash potentially concerning decision when you literally drafted a safety in the first round that uh, your next man up is Geno Stone. Um, so that's, that's something to monitor. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, John Harbaugh, of course, is being a uh, Jonas Schaefer was asked, uh, quote, John Harbaugh on whether Geno Stone's play style is more similar to Marcus Williams than Kyle Hamilton's. And Harbaugh had this to say. Geno is Geno. Kyle is Kyle. Marcus is Marcus. God, they have their strengths, so and we try to put them in position to take advantage of them. <laughs> so I don't know what that means going forward. I guess we'll see more Geno Stone. So that was disappointing. But I think the performance for the defense overall was very strong. Would love to not have players injured <laughs> in the secondary every week, but they do seem to be improving. I did also find it very funny, just one final defensive note for me, that uh, Hayden Hurst led the Bengals in receiving because, of course, he did. He looked unsta- uh, unguardable. <laughs> okay, all right. You know what? I was going to go defense, but let's start this. What's bothering Tim? Shut the hell up with this narrative of, like, revenge game Hayden Hurst. <laughs> the dude was the third tight end behind the guy who they drafted after him. And a guy who can't catch and can just block. And then it's all of a sudden they traded him for J.K. Dobbins, by the way. There was no hard feelings. He was like, I, I love the franchise. Like, thanks so much for the opportunity. Can't wait to go to Atlanta. Go, Birds. That really worked out, Hayden. Nice job. And now he's with Cincinnati, and it's like he's making catches and spinning the ball and talking all this S. Like, who are you, Hayden Hurst? Get out of here. What are we talking? We found the best tight end in football after you when we drafted you you're like what 25 years old when you came into the league shut up like it's so so bangles to do all of this and if you're listening to this on audio so i'm doing the yapping thing with my hands and not and not come out with the win nice job just like old joey cool coming out with the sweet outfit and then leaving baltimore being mocked by jimmy seafood on twitter shout out jimmy seafood um but defensively the defense won this game and i will say it again i know that there was there was bad stuff at the end right I know they blew some chances at the end the drive the 13 play 75 yard drive for the Bengals to take the lead at the end I know the the middle eight that we talked about after again the offense turned the ball over they give up a touchdown and then they give up a field goal after the offense goes five yards and punts it three minutes so they give up points there the other drives here again four plays punt three plays punt three plays punt three plays punt uh, there's the touchdown, there's the field goal, one play, interception, 15 plays, downs, downs for this Ravens team. And it, it included some individual performances. Let's start with all the guys that you just talked about. We don't have to go too far on Jason Pierre-Paul. Significant addition. And I think with the likes of, you know, Tyus Bowser coming back soon, later in the year, maybe a David Ajabo who, who might be able to contribute a little bit in his rookie year. Veteran presence, helping him learn the game is huge. Justin Houston coming back at some point as well. All of a sudden, that outside linebacker room, Adafi Owe, who I thought was okay uh, in this game. You know, he needs to be better than okay, but he was okay. That rotation of guys goes from when we were like, oh, my God, there's only two dudes. In a couple weeks, 
a little bit more than two dudes. And maybe we're seeing, and I'm not going to say it's the same thing because it's not, and this was way more of a marquee signing, and he was here for a couple years, and yada, yada, don't at me. Stinks of an Elvis Doomerville type signing a little bit for me, where it's, he, they got this guy. There wasn't a fax machine involved this time. If you don't know that story, have a Google. It's hilarious. But they get a veteran pass rusher who kind of just falls into their lap and makes an, an, an impact. And he's not going to make a Duberville impact, but maybe sort of in that vein. On Patrick Queen. Yeah, the interception's great. But, like, and maybe this is a defensive coordinator problem. Can we stop ISOing him against linebackers? <laughs> Can we figure out somebody to help him tackle? I don't think he has pushed a man back once in his entire career. And there's still very much a heads on fire, run really fast and miss, miss the play and not r- diagnose a play and give up a big yard because of that. So yeah, I know I'm being hard on him. He had a crucial pick after, um, you know, after the, the downs play with Tylen Wallace, but not great. I, I wasn't super, super happy about that. Um, and then who else are we talking about? Oh, well, you didn't talk about it. I'm just going to talk about him again. Marcus Effin Peters. This guy, this whole thing that we're talking about, he's screaming at Harbaugh. There's disarray in the locker room. That dude is the attitude of this team. That is the guy you want playing on your side of the ball. Because you know why? He's the cornerback who won't shut the hell up. He's the guy that might not make the tackle all the time, but he's going to be in your face from moment one. And you know who was in your face from moment one? You know who the Bengals did not want to line up against, whether it was Jamar Chase, whether it was Tyler Boyd, whether it was Hayden Effenhurst, because apparently he's the best tight end in football now. It was Marcus Peters. And that play, the first on the first drive, he tackled Jamar Chase for, I think it was like only a two-yard gain or something or a loss, and like hit him. To the point where I'm like, Marcus Peters just learned how to tackle. That's incredible. Then he has the play where on a deep pass from Burrow into the end zone, he pushes him out of bounds very smartly. And, and so the guy can't get his feet down. Not only pushes out of bounds, jaws at him afterwards, talking every sort of S that you need from a mean, aggressive, fast defense. And then, oh, the Philly special play. Oh, Zach Taylor, you beautiful bimbo. They, they run this trying to Philly special play, trying to get way too cute on the end zone. They leave Marcus Peters on an island because they're like, he won't make the tackle. And he puts Tyler Boyd's cleats above his helmet. This is the type of plays that you need from a defense. It, it, it was just, I think that was the moment where I texted the three separate things. And my final one was just all caps, defense. Because that's what you <laughs> love to see. And the attitude that he brings is something that is sorely missed, not only, not only for this team, but across the National Football League. Give me an Aaron Donald who's taken stripping off two helmets in preseason trying to fight dudes, who trains with knives. Give me guy, give me <laughs> your Ray Lewis who could just figure out like any little chip on his shoulder to scream at the opponent. Give me John Henderson. If you don't remember John Henderson, defensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who they literally had to employ a slap guy on the Jaguars staff to slap him in the face before he went out to game so he could get fired up. Marcus Peters is vintage football. He is vintage defense, and he is such a welcome addition. And I don't even care about all the penalties that you guys are going to talk about because <laughs> some of them were BS anyway. I don't care because I want that guy on my team. Um, so there's Marcus Peters rant over. I love you, buddy. And keep bringing that. Talk that S. Bring that noise. Jaw at the coach when you're pissed off and make plays. You can do all of this if you're making plays. And he made so many plays last night. And then on, on the Marcus Williams thing, yes, it is absolutely a downer. 
And they say he's going to be on IR uh, with a dislocated wrist. And I, I'm with Antonio. I'm kind of like, dislocated? Like, that much time? Uh, okay. Here are the quarterbacks that the Ravens have to face. I, I should note, here's the note. Harbaugh said he's probably going to come back later this season. So in order, the quarterbacks that they're going to face. Daniel Jones. Win. Jacoby Brissett. Win. 78-year-old Tom Brady. Win. One of Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. Do I need to say it? <laughs> Hit me. Win. Thank you. Whoever is the Panthers quarterback. Win. <laughs> please hope it's Baker Mayfield. Oh, God, I want to beat Baker Mayfield again. Trevor Lawrence. We may go undefeated. Keep go- Yeah, keep going, Tim. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Russell Wilson. Let's ride. Uh, Kenny Pickett. A, what's his name? Oh, geez. Deshaun Watson, who hasn't played football in two years. One of Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter. Kenny Pickett again. <laughs> and then week 18, Joe Burrow. If he's back for week 18, making plays, I am fine. Get healthy, Marcus. Come back when we need you most. I th- think the Ravens secondary can handle the likes of Baker Mayfield, Kenny Pickett, Jameis Winston, and Russell Wilson. I love that. Tim, you just made me feel so much better in like a 10-second stretch. So, so many winnable games coming up. It's a winning team with winnable games. Me too. I've been in a very one-week-at-a-time uh, mentality this season. I haven't spent much time looking ahead, but that's that's encouraging. I like that. What is this, the Twilight Zone? I'm the one bringing optimism on this podcast. Uh, the Marcus Peters stuff is amazing. He just do- he does so much in every Shut game. Up, man. But it is... <laughs> what? He showed up. Oh. He showed up. That's what I said. Uh, but that, but you're so right that that's what we need. We need a guy throwing stuff, yelling at everybody, and making plays. Um, the Philly special tackle, just objectively one of the funniest <laughs> looking tackles. Like oh. the guy with like playing with little kids at the park, like just throw, launching a dude and not really even trying to hit him that hard, just trying to make it look f- as funny as possible. Um, yeah, and he'll be important with Marcus Williams out because he uh, he's gonna have to cover some guys. Jace, any other uh, any other players? We're saving the last couple of minutes for one dude uh, that we have not really talked about too specifically. So that's the last guy. He plays on special teams. He's a future Hall of Famer. Aside from that, Jace, any other uh, any other <laughs> players you want to single out? Yeah, he's obviously the main guy we have to talk about. But I will say. Uh... Tim Tim loves this man, and we have to give him a shout-out and another guy a shout-out, I think. Uh, Mark Andrews, understandable. We all love Mark Andrews. But Devin Duvernay stepping up in a big spot with Rashad Bateman out. You know, him him and Andrews combined for 13 catches for 143 yards. All the other Ravens had six catches for 31 yards. So it was really a two-man operation uh, in the passing game, uh, which, you know, speaks to roster construction problems and – issues we talked about like what happens when Rashad Bateman goes down well in this game thankfully it was Devin DuVernay steps up but uh it would still be nice uh to have some more depth uh I don't think he'll help that much but along this front the Ravens did sign Andy Isabella to their practice squad (laughs) but uh it would be nice to have Rashad Bateman back but for at least one night uh he thankfully wasn't too missed because Devin DuVernay had a great game and I'm sure uh, Tim wrote in all caps uh, peek behind the curtain in our in our Google Doc. So I think he has some strong uh, thoughts on Devin Duvernay's performance. I told you when everybody said, look out for the, oh, the, the Ravens, you know, and Mike, Mike Tirico, by the way, noted Italian, said on this pod, said on the broadcast multiple times, he was like, 
oh, well, you know, the Ravens really haven't spent money on on uh, receivers, and uh, it's the narrative around the league. Nobody's really talking about it. Because they have a weapon as their second guy in Devin DuVarnay. Track athlete, all-pro punt returner and kick returner, and they showed they, – they used his talents to the fullest last night. You bring up the box score. As, as Jace said, five catches, 54 yards – a long of 21 uh, yards, and he had also had three rushes for 24 yards as well. Just run him on all the all the jet sweeps. All the jet sweeps for Devin DuVarnay. That guy, he's big, he's physical. We saw it in the Jets game earlier with his big touchdown catch that he had on that beautiful Lamar Jackson throw. He's kind of figuring out how to play that second receiver with Bateman, and he stepped up in a big way, and man, I... I love those two together. I think, and it's really cool, and look, they have to do more, and Nobody in the national media will ever talk about it because the Ravens aren't going to have your Devontae Adams. They're not going to have your Tyreek Hill. They're just not. That's not how they play offense. And that's not how they're – that's not the best way to get the most out of their offense and their quarterback, by the way. It's not the way to utilize the weapons that they have. But they're doing the best they have with the weapons they have. And I'm not saying that as a negative. It's a good way because they found guys that fit their system in a Bateman who – I mean – Dude, that guy's got to stay on the field, but we're not going to do that today. And Devin DuVarnay, who is a better Marquise Brown. I'll say it. He just is in that role that he is fulfilling. And long may it continue, man. I, I love Duve, and I think that they've found something special with him. I really do. My uh, last note before we turn to uh, the greatest of all time. You don't have to lose starters to injury every week. I, I know that seems like <laughs> something that the Ravens think is – uh, a prereq of being a team in the National Football League. You are able to go a full football game without having a starter get hurt for a month. Uh, haven't seen it yet. 0 for 5 in five weeks this season. Would love to see it at some point this season so that we are still playing games with human beings by week 18. Um, all right, guys. He's the best. I've said it enough times. Uh, Justin Tucker, we'd love to have you on the show. You can sing, you can talk, you can kick, and we'll announce it. Literally do whatever I don't know. Just come hang out. Um, (laughs) You guys have some stats for me. So even though I couldn't be more impressed by just watching Justin Tucker on the field, blow me and the listeners away with some of these numbers that you have about just how good he's been. So, I mean, the number one... um... This man has made 75 straight field goals in the second half of games, including 61 straight in fourth quarters and overtimes. I mean, 61 straight field goals in the fourth quarter and overtime. That's insane. 61. That's going back years at this point. Uh, That is 183 points. And yes, I had to use my calculator because I'm a journalism major. He's he's just – everything he does – we probably should have led the show with him, frankly, because, I mean, you know, they scored 19 points. That's four field goals and one touchdown. It's it's not just the game-winning kick. He drills a 58-yarder, you know, makes it look like a walk in the park. He's already third all-time in 50-yard field goals uh, or field goals of 50-plus yards made. He has 52 of them. But he's only behind Sebastian Janikowski who has 58 and Matt Prater has 66. And then he follows it up with yet another game winner like it's <laughs> and you know there's a, a conversation we could be having today which is when the ravens get their last third down or uh convert a, a first down late and could definitely run more plays including more running plays to get closer and just decide nah why risk it uh 
you know, there could be a conversation with a lesser kicker we're having where we say, that was dumb. They should have got closer. But with Justin Tucker, you go, 43, you know, was I, I personally, I was a little nervous at the moment. I'm like, I, I trust him, but I'm like, this is a big spot. Like, he hasn't missed a kick at all this season. You think, you figure a normal human being is due to miss a field goal at some point. You're uh, waiting for you Jordan know, Stout to do something dumb with yeah. the hold or something goes wrong. <laughs> a guy's able to get in to block it. Yeah. And it just, it just, you know, so I'm a little nervous and uh, nope, he, he drilled it like quite literally as down the middle as could possibly be. There's math that says he could, it was like right down the middle. So he's just incredible. And I, I know it's like, we almost don't talk about him really on this program. Cause what's there to say about him at this point, but this is year 11 of him being the best kicker in the NFL. And he's, he's seemingly better than he's ever been which is crazy. So here's, here's the stat that, that Jace just alluded to, because yeah, I mean, it's, and we'll get this conversation in a second, but uh, this comes from Michael Lopez on Twitter at stats by Lopez. Cause this might be easier to, to see rather than listen, but I will do my best to explain it using. And this is just direct qu- uh, quote here using next gen stats, ball tracking data, Justin Tucker's game winning field goal crossed the upright with a Y coordinate. So on the horizontal line in between the two goalposts, of tw- at 26.52. That was the Y coordinate where it crossed. The exact middle. So I just said 26.52. The exact middle? 26.67. That means <laughs> that if the uprights were a half a yard wide, if they were a foot and a half across, half a yard, the kick would have still been good. <laughs> And this is not just a one-off, ladies and gentlemen. Over the last two years, Justin Tucker leads the league in middle of the upright accuracy. So I'm just going to say this again and take out the math numbers. Math numbers, that was weird. If the uprights were a foot and a half wide, a foot, get, get a ruler out, we'll wait. <laughs> a foot and a half wide, Justin Tucker makes that and we're going home happy. It is absolutely absurd, and and to lead to the point here, I, I admittedly, and apologies, I didn't look it up beforehand. I don't know how many kickers are in the Hall of Fame. I know it ain't many, but I know Morton Anderson is in there because he played forever, and it, <laughs> there's a couple others too as well, punters yeah. as well. And, and Vinatieri will get in whenever Vinatieri, he's eligible. He's Vinatieri will get in, that. and good for him. Justin Tucker is a Hall of Famer. You cannot. There is no argument against Justin Tucker and the way he has changed football. There's no Evan McPherson Bengals fans without Justin Tucker and the way he has made it such a an art to be so damn good at his job and, and how efficient he is. And you cannot, and this is the way a lot of people put it, and I completely agree, you cannot write the story of football without Justin Tucker and what he does from a special teams aspect. He's a Hall of Famer, man. Like, we have a Hall of Fame kicker on this team. And he was fighting with Billy Cundiff for a job <laughs> back when his rookie year. God bless John Harbaugh and, and, and the coaching brain trust there. They made the right call. They signed up the, the kid from Texas. And it's funny. I, 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 was, I was nervous, too. End of the game situation. You never really know. The 58-yarder. It was, I think it was 58, the other one he hit. Really nervous about that. And then he, as soon as it leaves it, his foot, it looks like it was good from Pittsburgh. Like, he, the way, the, how far he hit that damn ball. Uh, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't say any more good things about Justin Tucker. There's no other franchise, maybe outside of Indianapolis and Pat McAfee for the cult figure that he became, that has 
a ratio, a percentage of jerseys worn by fans that are number nine, that are the kicker number compared to other players. And we have Lamar Jackson on our team. And still, there's probably a good chunk of people wearing the number nine uh, in Baltimore. And, and with good reason, because he is he is the GOAT and in good form. I appreciate Tariko actually describing him as one of the best players in football. He was like, he is the best kicker in football, but he's also quite literally one of the best players in football. He's, yes, the best kicker. We know that. It's great. He is, I don't, you know, I don't have those advanced stats, but... I want to compare him with, like, the middle kicker in the NFL right now in terms of, like, efficiency, ability, accuracy, and, like, range. It's got, it's got to be astronomical, the div, the distance between him and what an average kicker is. And we see him miss kicks all the time. Poor Danny Amendola's brother. It's not his actual brother, but he missed... You get it. He's missed kicks for two teams in, like, three weeks, and neither of them was more than 50 <laughs> yards. Uh, and that's the state of kicking. A lot of misses, a lot of pressure, a lot of turnover, and it's not even, like, he could miss five of these, and we'd still be in the conversation of how good he is. But he doesn't miss. He makes them all. And he makes them all on the count. Thank goodness we have Justin Tucker. It's Halloween is, like, kind of coming up, and Tim said Billy Cundiff, and I literally got, like a like, a shudder when he said that. But he's gone. He's long gone. He can't hurt us anymore. It's Justin Tucker for the next... 10 years hopefully all right that's gonna do it for this game my goodness thank goodness we got out of there with a win three and two feels good it's time now for the random raven and jace you are up this week and uh rumors are you have a doozy for us and by rumors (laughs) you told us before we started to record that you have a doozy for us yeah we're getting we're getting into the deep cuts here in year year four season four of pod like a raven so uh this one this one might be hard but I, i have a lot of clues so hopefully we get there. Um, so clue number one, this player was drafted by the Ravens in the sixth round of the 2007 NFL draft. The Michigan product appeared in eight games, his rookie year before landing on IR and then missed the entire 2008 season due to injury. Clue number three, after playing the first two games of the 2009 season, this player was traded to the new England Patriots for a conditional seventh round pick. That pick never materialized, however, as the Patriots cut this player the following week before re-signing him to their practice squad ahead of a week four game against the then 3-0 Ravens. Clue number four, following that contest, the Ravens re-signed this player off the Patriots practice squad, and he stuck around for the remainder of the season, all of 2010, and appeared in a few games in 2011, which ended up being his final season in the NFL. Clue number five, This player, who wore number 54 and is referred to as a, quote, special team standout on his Wikipedia page, appeared in 44 games overall for the Ravens, but is credited with zero starts, just one pass deflection, and 38 total tackles. And then kind of just a bonus one I found enjoyable on his pro football reference transaction page, the Ravens signed him on four different occasions, released slash waived him four different times, placed him on IR three times, and traded him once. Wow. So, oh, man. It's kind of the I, definition of a random raven, and I hate that I don't have a name immediately. I, think I, like, I know like who it is. Path, I but. know who it is, but I, there's no name there. It's like I can picture the guy. I remember playing Madden franchises where all of a sudden, like in year five, he's like the starting linebacker for the team. But the, the name is just there's, there's nothing. Like it's an, everything else. I can see the look. With, like, the elbow pads or whatever that he wore. Like, whatever he wore. It's, oh, that's frustrating. We'll see. We'll see if it pops up. All right. 
we have some time. I hate it. I hate it. Okay, let's turn to the NFL. And I'm going to I'm going to do something really special on this episode and that's give one of our co-hosts an opportunity for two what's bothering them this week because Tim already used his what's bothering Tim, but I'm going to give him a second one. Tim, what is bothering you in the NFL this week? <laughs> oh, you know, things concerning protecting prima donna quarterbacks. Jerome Bogar and his staff and that lovely southern accent of his should not only never be allowed to work in the NFL again, they should never be allowed to ref college, high school, peewee. I would even go so far to say they should never have jobs again for the egregious, egregious act of malcontent and malpractice that they used against the Atlanta Falcons uh, in their almost comeback win and maybe could have been comeback win against the soon-to-be single Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you haven't seen the play, I have, I have waxed poetically on and on and on on this show about how roughing the passer has become a joke. And look, players need to get protected. I understand that. Quarterbacks stand back there and big old linemen come to tear their head off. I understand that. I also understand that defensive players get paid to do their job. And every year it seems like it's harder and harder and harder to do so. We might have seen the worst, not only roughing the passer call, which, by the way, is still the worst call in football. Like, I get roughing the passer late, but the fact that sometimes it's still on their fingertips as they're getting hit and they call that is ridiculous. I think the fact that if a guy is a half a step away and the ball's released and he can't stop himself and he hits the guy, they call it, it's ridiculous. Grady Jarrett of the Atlanta Falcons sacked Tom Brady. Got him around the waist in the one tiny little area that you're allowed to hit the quarterback nowadays. Not Lamar Jackson, by the way. He's a running quarterback, so you're allowed to hit him wherever you want. Hits him in between the shoulder pads and the old belt. Right in that fun, happy area where you're allowed to touch him. Family show. Sacks him normally. No problem at all. And Effie Jerome Bogar who, by the way, Ravens fans had a ton of issues with in the Bills game. And I was kind of like, shut up. The Ravens lost that game. I don't want to hear about the refs. I want to hear about him now because that man cannot be allowed to ref again. Jarrett takes him, kind of spins him around a little bit and puts him to the ground relatively gently for hitting a quarterback. It's not like he cleaned his clock in any way, shape or form. Go look at the highlight. I know uh, at Field Yates on Twitter from ESPN, he has a clip of it. It's everywhere. Warren Sharp had it as well. He sacks the quarterback, and they call a 15-yard roughing the passer penalty that effectively ends the game. I'm not here to do the whole Tom Brady's protected, this is a joke, whatever whatever Baltimore thing. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to say that you are ruining the game with stuff like this. Like, this is not football anymore. If, if If you want no hits on the quarterback, just say it. Just say it, and that's fine. But to get to a level... Where Bogart comes out after the game and he's asked about it and he says, well, I saw someone violently throwing down the quarterback who still has the ball. You're allowed to do that. You are allowed to violently hit the quarterback in a game called football. It is a violent sport anyway. And that was his reasoning. And everybody's just like, oh, yeah, okay, ho-hum is disrespectful. It's absurd. And frankly, it can't be allowed to continue. 
I, I understand the game is not what it used to be. I miss Jacked Up. Sorry about it. I do. I miss Chad Johnson going over the middle and meeting a nam- man named Ray Lewis and legit had his helmet go flying into the stands. I miss football like that. And I understand and and am fine with the fact that it can't be allowed to to be played like that anymore because these guys are big and fast and, and it's 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 hurting guys and you know later in life. And that's fine. But even Joe Burrow said it, the man that we were just disparaging here a couple of minutes ago. These guys kind of know what they signed up for when it when it comes to playing this sport, especially at the quarterback position. And you're gonna take some hits. And the fact that completely legal hits completely legal no issue whatsoever there is not one person on twitter or or in the in the media or or a fan base every 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 tampa bay buccaneer fan that you would ask would say yeah that was a ridiculous call that's how you know it's bad the fact that a referee can even question throwing a flag on that means that the rule has to be changed is probably the wrong word but eased off in a way where look you gotta let the guy do their job a little bit even if you want to say he was just a second late, we're going to throw that flag, fine. But the fact that it's gotten to such a point where the referee can even have a thought to be like, that might be illegal, is, is asinine. It's just asinine. And, and I saw that, and I don't even care about the Falcons. Like, it's like the Panthers. Who cares? Like, I don't even think the people in Atlanta <laughs> care. And I don't care that it was Tom Brady. That doesn't bother me at all. But I felt... It sounds dramatic, but I felt sad for the game when I saw that. Because it's just like, you watch it and you go, what the hell is this? And and for me, if they don't do something about that, first of all, Boger, they should have been a press release after the game saying he's no longer allowed to referee. We're going to find replacements for him the rest of the year. I'm not even kidding. Jace is laughing. I am dead serious. Like that, that He cannot be allowed. You make a mistake that egregious, make a mistake at your job that egregious. What happens? You get fired. And that's what should happen. I'm never call for a man's job. I'm calling for his job because that was just insane. And now I'm rambling, but it's just, it just sucks to see that. And, and the fact that the refereeing level has gotten so low, the bar is so low to becoming a competent referee um, that we could see stuff like that happen. And I feel bad for Falcons fans. And look, you know, I, I will never forget that the next time you see Boger on your schedule, you know that it's going to be a poorly refereed game. And that sucks to see. The, the only pushback I have, Tim, is it, it did actually bother me a little bit that it was Tom Brady. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I found that annoying. And his little half smirk and said, I don't throw the flags after the game. Uh, you know, I, I was... I was a little perturbed by that, <laughs> but uh, you know that that's that's some deep seated uh, Brady stuff uh, with it. Being, uh, He's got to work on that. Work on that outside of outside of the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Outside of that, the I don't know. I guess NFL news of the day: Carolina Panthers lose. Matt Rule loses. Uh, Matt Rule is fired. Baker Mayfield is hurt. The things the the wheels have fallen yeah. off in Carolina, and it took uh, about a month. Um, my over's not looking great for them. <laughs> I think I had, what, six and a half? They got to go seven and ten. That that has not gone off to a good start. Um, but, hey, maybe this lights the fire under the team that actually has some talent. Or is the talent going to go elsewhere? Um, <laughs> could it go to Baltimore, guys? Could some of these talented players go to the Ravens? DJ Moore? Robbie Anderson? 
Any insight? I'll, I'll turn to my insiders here. Any uh, real rumblings of Ravens stealing uh, rueful Panthers? Tried to do as many R words in there. Uh, you know, from insiders, it's more of like, I'm addicted to Twitter. But uh, yeah, a lot of it is, there are rumblings from Ravens fans. So nothing concrete, obviously. And Eric DaCosta is close to the vest. You'll never hear it. But a Robbie Anderson for a fifth round pick screams Baltimore Ravens. Um, I would like them to go a little bit higher. Second rounder. I would even say maybe a first for the likes of DJ Moore. Still young, under contract, good player in a bad situation. Bring him home, baby. Um, you know, I think there's, and Jace can speak more to this because we were talking about it uh, offline, but the the Panthers kind of need to go through full rebuild right now. Um, you know, usually when you're bad, it's like, like the Texans right now. We're bad, but we have so many picks. Like, this is going to be awesome. We got Derek Stinley, Davis Mills might be a guy. If not, we got picks on picks on picks to find our future. Panthers don't have that. And they need to start selling assets to kind of, get back to that level of rebuild like they're they're in the worst spot possible now which is linked you know which means a lot of people have been calling for players there was i saw a report on twitter today the bills have called about christian mccaffrey dear god please no um but but yeah i think you know if if we had to do and this is more of a bi-week topic but if we had to do like player you'd want most i would say brian burns the pass rusher for the carolina panthers that's not going to happen i think he's probably one of the guys that is untouchable seeing how good he is but a DJ Moore or, or a Robbie Anderson. Think about it. Fully healthy. Rashad Bateman, Devin DuVarnay, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Andrews, Robbie Anderson and or DJ Moore. And your sixth receiving option, six, sixth, is Isaiah Likely. Your seventh, because I forgot about Isaiah Likely. Your seventh is Demarcus Robinson, the guy who just signed. And Gus Bus too. He can catch a little bit. And then Pat Ricard. That's nine weapons, like legit weapons on an offense that apparently didn't have weapons. Um, you know, because people are lazy and don't know how to talk about sports. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that it is something the Ravens should definitely explore and see maybe, you know, see how desperate the Panthers are. We'll put it that way. Yeah, it, they're, they're, what they do is going to be very interesting the, the rest of the season. I, I don't think a ton of people are, are, are ultimately surprised. Matt Rule ended up being the first coach fired. He went 11-27. and 27, uh they still don't have a quarterback. And yeah, I think this move kind of forces and, and why they'd sell them off is because like Tim talked about, they need, they need draft picks. They don't have like a full complement of picks the next two years. They're a very bad team. They've whiffed on quarterback every year of rules tenure, which is kind of why they're there. And David Tepper, their new owner, relatively new, he's, but he's been there since 2018. He tried to, you know, fly in and not do a rebuild on a team that needed to rebuild. And, um, now they kind of have no choice. Um, I, I, for me, the one team I want to talk about uh, from this weekend uh, that kind of ties into the Panthers because they may be in a race for the first overall pick with them uh, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They stink. The Steelers <laughs> lost 38-3 to to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. It's their worst loss since 1989. Um, they are just getting uh, just their defense is just bad without TJ Watt. And you know, Kenny Pickett, he threw the ball f- over 50 times. That's not what you want in his first start. Uh, and even then, he s- seemed like, uh, you know, I didn't get no chance to watch this game live, but watching the highlights, it's like every throw's low and it's all the arm strength problems everyone kind of criticized him for. It's, at least that's how I saw it. So 
I don't know. I think they're in for a really rough year. Um, do I think they'll still beat the Ravens once? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, on their way to getting a top five pick, I do think that will happen um, because that's just how it goes. Uh, don't forget, when the Ravens went 5-11 and 11 in 20, uh, 2015, they still managed to beat the Steelers twice. So there's no rhyme or reason to what happens in this rivalry. So I still think the Steelers will be a hard out when they play them. But overall... Uh, we've I this we this might be like the worst Steelers team we've ever seen in in, in our lifetimes in, in decades really it, it's 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 shaping up bad unless something really turns around fast and I still like Mike Tomlin as a coach but but they just do nothing well and it, it's kind of shocking to see the Steelers you know run off the field uh, like they were on Sunday Bills are a good team sure but that that was that was that was weird it was it was it was almost like off-putting you're like that doesn't happen to the Steelers what's going on so uh it's definitely kind of a surreal moment I think we're in and that fan base is in I'm sure uh yeah I mean you know not not gonna have much sympathy for that fan base for the next (laughs) 10 years Kenny Pickett 52 passing attempts without the team scoring a touchdown you love to see it uh I have a couple of things to go over here quickly um the Chargers had one of the worst go-for-it decisions <laughs> I've ever seen, and I'm a go-for-it on fourth down guy. Uh, fourth and two from their own 45-yard line, up by two with a minute and 14 left. The Browns have no timeouts. Did the Chargers punt it to the Browns and try to pin them deep and force them to go the full length of the field in a minute with no timeouts to attempt a field goal? No, no. They went for it in a situation where if you fail – the Browns need to go five yards to kick a field goal attempt. And they failed at the fourth and two. It wasn't fourth and inches, not even fourth and one. Fourth and two, they threw for it, of course, wasn't even close to being completed. The Browns then very easily and very quickly got into field goal range, missed the field goal because they're the Browns, and I'm annoyed at both of these teams. I don't want the the Browns to ever win football games, but the Chargers had no business winning this game. Their coach stinks. He is like the definition of an overthinker. You punt it, and you force Jacoby Brissett to beat you with a minute left and no timeouts. The other uh, thing that I want to go over, hand up to all the listeners. I lost the my bet of the season. I lost it. Lost it bad. Uh, I lost it to a 29 to nothing Lions loss in New England <laughs> in a game where I had Lions plus 9. And I will, I will go to my grave, and this is how you know you're going insane with gambling. I will go to my grave that this was the closest 29-point shutout loss in the history of the NFL. Uh, I'm going to run through the drives very quickly here. These are all Detroit Lion NFL football drives as this game went along. The first drive, they got it to 3rd and 6 at their own 40-yard line. They then got it to 4th and 1 at their own 45. They went for it. They were unsuccessful on 4th and 1. On the next possession, they drove all the way down the field. They got first and 10 at the Patriot 18-yard line. That's the red zone. Intercepted on first and 10. On their next possession, they drove all the way down to New England 31-yard line. Field goal range for some of us. And on third and seven, uh, Jared Goff was sacked for nine yards, taking them out of field goal range. They had to punt. On their next possession, they drove the ball down to the New England 25-yard line. Field goal range, some of us would say. And on third and two... Uh, their their receiver lost seven yards, and then on fourth and nine from the New England 32, Jared Goff was sacked, 
he fumbled, and the Patriots picked it up and returned it for a touchdown. In the second <laughs> half, of they drove the ball all the way down to the New England 34-yard line. That's field goal range. And on fourth and two, went for it and were unsuccessful. On their next possession, they took the ball down to the New England five-yard line. And on third and goal and fourth and goal, were unsuccessful, came up with zero points. On their next possession, they took it down to the New England 31, failed on fourth down and one, could not convert. And then on their next possession, took the ball to the New England 18, that's the red zone, and on third and four and fourth and four, could not convert and did not score any points. They had eight drives in scoring position, basically, in this game and scored zero points. I hate it. Gambling is impossible. Uh, I would pick this game again. (laughs) I would take them plus nine again. That game made no sense. That sounded like they had six or seven fourth down attempts. <laughs> Didn't get any of them, Chase. Not a one. And all of them were like fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and five. Didn't get any of them. Uh, and with, I hate it. With like one of the best offensive lines of the league. And That's and the good. highest scoring football team at the time. They were the highest scoring NFL football team entering that game. And they did not put up any points. Anything else, guys, from the NFL before we move to the Giants preview? I just want to go real quickly uh, to, to, to piggyback off the Lions. Um, yeah, the next time any of us as a podcast, but me specifically, starts talking about the Lions or the Jaguars as real contenders, just slap us in the face. Like, you can walk up to me on the street and slap me in the face because Jaguars lost to the Texans. And guess what? Jaguars might not be that good. The AFC South stinks, but they might not be that good. Um, you know, Jace. We're going to go behind the curtain a little bit here. Russell is a Commanders fan, correct? No, he is He is a Ravens oh. uh, fan, actually. But uh, there are several Commanders fans in my life that I spent time with this weekend and kind of commiserated a little bit. Uh, I was going to say, with. <laughs> my wedding gift to Russell was going to be not talking about the Commanders. So <laughs> that'll be the gift to all the other friends in the friend group who listen to this. And th- I, I you know, thank them for doing that, as always. Um, Cowboys, good. With Cooper Rush, Cowboys defense, fun. Cowboys defense, very fun to watch. Uh, Remember when they compared Kyler Murray to Lamar? That was funny. Uh, If you didn't know, Kyler slid short of the first down, thought he had a first down, even though he slid two yards short. Then he spiked the ball on third and one, thinking it was first down. Uh, Then it was fourth down. They had to kick a field goal. They lose to the Eagles. Eagles still undefeated. I'm just kind of running through here. A couple more. We already talked about that, 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 that. Oh, yes. The Broncos. My God, the Broncos. They have put up another nine-pointer. Russell Wilson, after the game, still did the whole let's ride in the losing press conference. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett still can't coach. What happened? What happened here with Denver? I mean, it's looking like Geno Smith is the better quarterback right now, (laughs) slinging it in Seattle. Um, You know, we'll talk more about the Broncos when we have them. In a couple weeks, I'm sure they'll rip off like three wins and be dominant before they play the Ravens because that's how it always works. But, you know, it was on Thursday. It was a while ago. But what a terrible, terrible Thursday night football game between the Colts and the Broncos. And the Broncos, it's just it's it's weird to me because you look at the jerseys, really nice jerseys. You look at like the fans, great fans, Denver, historic team, you know, kind of had the Super Bowls with Elway, what have you. We're kind of a always a competitive team for a long time and. Then you look, you're like, oh, the Broncos. Yeah, now they got they had all that talent. Now they have a quarterback. Oh, oh god. And so yeah, it's just it's still stunning to me. And guess what? Next week, also in prime time, so we get to watch them again. All right. Well, nothing from you, Jace. Nothing NFL. Anything else? 
No, I do agree with Tim that the, I think the Broncos, you know, for all the sad teams, we talked about a lot of sad teams this week in our in our NFL recap. A lot it's of a sad lot league of in, right now. Yeah, a lot of one and four squads getting attention on on like a Raven. But uh, I think even though their record's not that bad, I think the Broncos are like the most sad team in the NFL because they definitely are the team that entered with the most expectations and they're averaging like eight points a game. (laughs) They're like 11 points a game. It's, I don't think they've scored 20. I think the only game they scored 20 points was the one they lost to the Raiders. So it's, it's very, it's very tough. And uh, we've been subjected to them a lot. And so they're, they're, they're number one for me for, for saddest, saddest team 2022 so far. All right, let's turn to, let's turn to happy teams. And that's the Baltimore Ravens this week. Back to the Meadowlands. Uh, five <laughs> weeks later, they are playing the New York Football Giants. The Ravens on the road against a four and one team. Of course, they're four and a half point favorites. But that's because this Giants team are they, are they fraudulent? Are they legit at four and one? They've had all the weirdest wins, uh, and they haven't played some of the greatest teams. But let's start with the Ravens' offense against the Giants' defense. I have one question for you guys, and then take it however you want with the Ravens' offense. Can we continue the run game success? Can we average five yards a pop? Can Lamar break one for 20, 25 yards? Can we handle the clock and have a classic Ravens victory in the style of Ronnie Stanley getting some more snaps, Patrick McCarry being at full full strength, J.K. Dobbins getting more and more involved, and just easy stuff, easy holes that the running back can attack and go downhill and get five yards over and over and over again watching how they'll deploy stanley is definitely interesting because i was not expecting a snap count i don't know what i thought but i guess i thought when he missed you know two and a half seasons that when he came back he was going to play all the time but you know he didn't even he wasn't the guy on the field for their their last series. So I will be interesting to to see with them. It is interesting the Giants second in the NFL in a uh, rush yards. Um, oh excuse me, I was looking at the wrong column. We'll get to that side. Uh, so yes, they are twenty sixth in rush yards allowed per I like game. that so better. There's there's opportunity. Uh, there's opportunity there. Uh, they're significantly better against the pass. They're eighth uh, against the pass. So. That to me does say that the run is the path. Um, you know, I I am optimistic the Ravens can, can exploit it. I I agree with you. Uh, I don't know if we touched on him too much. Uh, we I know we mentioned he wasn't there a ton late, but I did think that was J.K. Dobbins' best game um, so far. There there was there was a few runs where there was just a lot of pop that I don't think we'd really seen the first few games, and so that's exciting. And you have to think he, you know, improves as, as time goes along. And I thought of Kenyon Drake, you know, he had a few a few nice runs here and there. So I was very pleased to see that. And I hope um, they just kind of can continue. Certainly, I think you need – I don't think the Giants are as good a team as the Bengals, but I, you need a better Lamar performance uh, than that. I hope, you know, back at the – our beloved 1 p.m. start, you know, out of the spotlight. He kind of just cooks a bit, and we get back to, to some of his early season games. But on the whole, I, I kind of like this matchup uh, for the Ravens. I know, I mean, I guess the big thing we just have to address is we know we, we know Lamar will be blitzed in this game. Uh, our, our, our beloved former defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, if you did not know, is the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants. And it's overseen some good improvement for them uh, to this point. Um, but, 
we we know he's got a blitz. He did it in the London game, sending uh, guys at Aaron Rodgers who knocked down passes in the late game there. Um, so yeah, it's once again how will how will the Ravens line handle the blitz? I think that's the other big kind of offensive side thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, that was just going to be my big point. Um, for those of you who don't know, Giants probably the best story so far this year, four and one, and D- Brian Dayball showing that he probably is one of the better coaching hires of the past couple years with what he's done with this team. And uh, yeah, he hired with him old Donnie Martindale, old Wink Martindale, who, you know, I made fun of, of the Hayden Hurst revenge tour wink. There's a lot of guys that love link wink in that building, but he definitely went unceremoniously. He was the head that rolled when a head had to roll um, with this Baltimore Ravens franchise. And so I would expect him to, you know, kind of have that in his back pocket of he wants to go out and prove something that, hey, look, you hired the new the hot kid that was on my staff and my defense is still better than yours, which as of right now it is. Um, so I think it's interesting that, you know, Lamar notoriously has been bad against the blitz in his career, although he has really cleaned that up this year. He's been way better against the blitz this season. So, you know, it's something that I think is good because, look, it would be funny. It would be hilarious if Wink just sent four the entire game and just did this whole, like, hey, you think this is coming? I'm finally going to change my ways. But after watching years of Wink Martindale in revenge games, in big games, in small games, what have you, prime time, 1 o'clock, Thursday, Monday, don't matter, Wink is going to send the house, and he's going to do it against this Ravens, def- or this Ravens offense. Can they contain it? I think that decides – this you know this aspect of the game will uh or this when these two units are on the field i'll put it that way if the ravens can handle the blitz they're gonna have a field day yeah agreed and i think lamar has shown enough in five games so far that he knows how to handle it better the Ravens staff is certainly gonna know how to handle it in theory um would love to see little uh little outlet passes become big gains uh so we will see if they can do that defensively for the Ravens against this Giants offense. Uh, the Giants receivers are all sorts of beat up. They're using like fifth stringers, sixth stringers, guys we've never heard of. Uh, we know what Daniel Jones is at this point. It's two gross plays and then one okay play, and then he'll scramble for five yards and maybe get a first down. <laughs> or he'll get two yards and he will not get a first down on a scramble. It's kind of like that. Rinse, repeat. The Giants 31st in the league in passing. However... They're second in the league in rushing because they have a guy whose name is Saquon Barkley, and he has been healthy, he has been dynamic, he has been powerful. Pretty simple. Guys, can the Ravens beat Saquon Barkley on first and second down, force Daniel Jones into third and longs, and get off the field enough to contain this Giants offense and outscore them? I mean, done. You nailed it. I have have nothing more to add. You know, there's no weapons on the outside for this Giants team. Currently, it's it's David Sills and Richie James uh, playing right now. The likes of Wandale Robinson, I believe, is still injured. Kadarius Toney could never stay healthy. Kenny Galladay, remember when the Ravens wanted him? Uh, that He's been injured uh, for a long time. He's not going to be playing in this one. So it's, it's all about stopping Saquon. And look, I think the big thing in here is Dayball. If you don't know, the former offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills who came over, he has done very, very well at just – and we kind of talked about this with the Ravens uh, as well when we talk about the weapons. Putting his players on offense in a position to succeed, giving them you know maximum potential 
uh, getting the most out of them, Saquon in particular, even Daniel Jones, you know, knowing what he does well and putting him in those situations. Essentially, the Ravens' defense needs to get them off script, and, and, and Antonio nailed it. You know, with Saquon, man, it's, it's very much about multiple people to the ball. If it's one-on-one, and I'm not going to single anybody out, but if it's one-on-one against, I don't know, let's say a middle linebacker, he's going to make that guy miss. And so you need to gang tackle him. You need to make sure he's not getting extra yardage. He's not pushing the pile and force those third and longs. You know, we say it with every team. You know, it's, it's the easiest, it's the easiest uh, analysis in the world for breaking down a defense. Well, get him in third and long, you should win. This one specifically because they just they don't have the weapons to get the ball downfield. And if you, can, if you can neutralize Saquon, Saquon can have a good day. But if you can get them in constant second and sevens, third and sevens, third and nines, you're going to win this football game. Yeah, the the Bengals, I will say, ran a little better on the Ravens than I think you would have liked. But overall, you know, they still kept the, the big plays in the run game down. And the Ravens' run defense, even through these last few years of questionable pass defenses, ha, ha, has been pretty stout. So, like, as long as Calais Campbell's there, kind of leading the charge and directing people and all that i, I kind of trust the ravens run defense uh even even if saquon's gonna you know drag patrick queen on a five yard touchdown at some point but uh i i yeah i'm with tim i mean i i just think daniel jones isn't good enough and he's been banged up a little bit i know he's been dealing with like an ankle injury and and even though the ravens i guess they started so poorly they're still 32nd against the pass in the nfl um I, I still like their chances even without Marcus Williams of uh, of handling Daniel Jones and he he hasn't uh, Jones hasn't uh, committed the turnovers to this year that he's uh, been known for he was you know his first several seasons he was turning the ball over at a quite historic rate so so he's kind of kept that under control this season and I think that's certainly helped them get out to this good start but. I kind of think at the end of the day, the, the the Ravens are just a better football team than the Giants. And, and you do have, you, you know, you're coming off this emotional Sunday night game, but the Giants are coming back from London. So I think that's kind of a wash in terms of, uh, you know, how ready each team will be, be for this. I will say uh, just one uh, Ravens offensive thing versus the Giants defense. I'm, uh, I don't know if I can put money on Tony Jefferson having an interception uh, in this game, but but I like those that to happen. I'm sure it'll somehow occur. Uh, that's the that's the other thing I'm guaranteeing in this game is Patrick Queen will get embarrassed by Saquon Barkley and Tony Jefferson will have an interception. But uh, on the whole, uh, I I don't know. Do we want to just dive into picks? I I don't know. I'm gonna say one more time, thing. But... One more thing, Jason. Then I will come back to you for the pick. The Ravens gave up yards on the ground to the Bengals because they were playing a defense entirely designed to keep the ball in front of them. And Collinsworth talked about it several times during the broadcast that the Ravens were playing this, like, two-deep shell, keep the thing in front of them. They don't want to give up the 80-yard bomb. That will not be the case this week. That will not be how the defense lines up. They will have eight guys very close to the line of scrimmage on a lot of plays and force Daniel Jones to beat them with third string receivers and that's why i like this game but jace you go first with your pick yeah i i'm right there with you even though i i believe antonio i've only gotten i think one ravens game correct <laughs> to this point in the season uh in terms of the betting i i think it was the patriots game so somehow usually i'm pretty good at with with the ravens uh i think they'll do um but not not quite this year but i'm picking them 
And this line has moved, we talked about, and the consensus is it's Ravens by four and a half on the road. That's a big number, but I am still taking it because I just think the Ravens are simply a better football team. And, you know, I think we've talked about, with very few exceptions, a hallmark of the Lamar era has been the Ravens have largely avoided trap games. Uh, And I think coming off a Sunday night win, a big Sunday night win, I think they'll be ready uh, to go, especially against an old uh, friend like Wink Martindale. I think, you know, that has to give some people, you would think, even if they love Wink, a little extra motivation. So um, I'm picking the Ravens minus four and a half. It's a big number, but I'm pretty confident in it. Yeah, uh, I'm taking the Ravens as well. I think they do well when a team is one-dimensional, and that is what this Giants team has turned into, and I think the Ravens will be able to handle it just enough and then outscore them. I like this line. I think they win this by 10, uh, and I think 4.5 is a nice a nice number. Tim, you want to do your Ravens pick and then also round out your other selections? Yeah, I was just going to get them, get them all out of the way here. Um, and by get them all out of the way, I hate this board. So I only have two picks. I'm, I'm breaking the rules. I'm not going with three picks here because I can't figure it out. I mean, the, the Dolphins plus three at home to the Vikings is interesting if Tua plays. But Mike McDaniel uh, today said that he's still in concussion protocol. So who knows? I hate every pick. So I'm only making two picks. And I'll start with the Ravens pick. I'm picking the Giants plus four and a half. Um, it scares me. This Raven, I, 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 just feel like this Ravens team is so ebb and flow right now that we could get there and all of a sudden Giants are up 10 in the second quarter and we win by three. And it's like, what the hell? I I think they win the game. I will say that. I'm not going to be a complete Debbie Downer. I do think they win the game, but I just think it's going to be closer than we want because the Ravens are coming off this high. And the Ravens aren't a team usually to be like, oh, now that's the momentum. It's Oh, we're being hyped up too much. Now we fall down. Now, now everybody's discounting us. Now we win a big game. Now everybody's too hyped on us. Now we fall down. And so I think this is kind of a slip-up spot for them, even with everything that we talked about. And I do think the Ravens are a better football team. Uh, and then my only other pick, Bengals away in New Orleans. The Bengals have to win. Like, they have to win to keep I – know, I know everybody's bad or everybody's mediocre. Parody, parody, parody. Reigns this year in the NFL – but I think the Bengals need to get back on the horse and win a game here. And the line is only one and a half. Bengals minus one and a half away to the Saints. Andy Dalton, maybe. Jameis Winston. I know Taysom Hill just had a big game. He has one of those a year, and he just had it. I, I think I think this Bengals team is being disrespected a little bit with that, uh, with that line. So it's going to be Bengals minus one and a half away to the Saints. So to round out my picks, I did go three. I'm not in love. Uh, with with any of them uh, as much has been the case but a team we talked about the Carolina Panthers who just fired their coach on Monday as we record uh, are 11 point underdogs uh, against the Los Angeles Rams now you may be saying you know 11 point underdogs at the Super Bowl champs does seem like a lot but the Rams have not been a good team this season and I think that's kind of gone a little under the radar um just because you know since opening night they haven't had i don't think any primetime games which is kind of kind of rare for or i guess they had that monday night football game but uh they're they have the 26th offense uh in the nfl right now which is very surprising for sean McVay team now do the panthers have the 32nd best offense uh yes they do uh they're last in the nfl uh so it'll be a low scoring one but 11 is just a huge spread and i you know i'm betting on new coach no whatever quarterback they play this week be it pj walker maybe sam darnold's back 
It cannot be worse than what Baker Mayfield had put on the field this season. He he was clearly, I think, the worst quarterback in the NFL. They they were just putrid week in and week out. Uh, and then the other, you know, the Bills are great, but I'm just taking the Chiefs as a two-point underdog at home uh, on principle. You know, uh, the Bills beat, you know, I think they have that one win over the Chiefs uh, at Arrowhead in the regular season, but... Whenever they've had a big game that matters, the Chiefs have beaten the Bills. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, this is going to be previewed as the AFC Championship preview. It may be rightfully so. Should be a good game. Uh, but I, I still think, you know, people are still sleeping on Patrick Mahomes somehow and the Chiefs. I, I think they're still the team to beat in the AFC uh, just because the Bills are fun and new and exciting. But I think with the Chiefs as a home home underdogs at Arrowhead Stadium when they have Patrick Mahomes, I think you kind of have to just pick them. Yeah, so I went one and two last week. Want to do a little recap? I won the Giants pick. Interestingly enough, I I thought that Green Bay being eight point favorites was too many points. It was it was by a lot too many points because the Giants won that game straight up specifically because the Packers were unable to stop the Giants and Saquon Barkley on the ground, which they have done. Uh, the Packers have done that repeatedly uh, this year, really struggled on the ground defensively. I don't think the Ravens are going to do that. I'm taking the Ravens minus four and a half, as I mentioned. Nine and seven on the year. So with my picks, so I'm feeling okay, even with losing the lock of the year. So sorry, guys. But we built. We built from here. Still a winning record. Ravens minus four and a half. Uh, I'm taking Cincinnati minus one and a half at New Orleans as well. Um, I don't that that line is way too small for a New Orleans team that I don't think is great, and I love um, the idea of um, Hill having the four touchdown performance. Is that the Saints? Oh my gosh, I just blanked on his name. The Saints. Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. Yeah, That's Taysom Hill. <laughs> don't worry, he's irrelevant. Exactly. Yeah, I absolutely name. agree that he got that four touchdown game out of his system and will uh, go back to mediocrity this week. So I'm taking Cincinnati, and then I'm doing a three team teaser because you can't stop it. I know I lost it last week, but I'm back with it. <laughs> if I like the Ravens at minus four and a half, I sure like them at plus one and a half in the teaser uh, against the Giants. I think they win, so obviously I like that line. I'm taking the Rams down from minus 11 to minus five. They're at home against a really bad team and a mediocre third-string quarterback. Give me the Rams minus five. And then Tampa minus two at Pittsburgh. We saw what Pittsburgh's about. Tom Brady versus Kenny Pickett. I'm going to take Tampa and Tom Brady to have to win that game by a field goal, and that is my three-team, six-point tees. You bet 100, you win 160, and we ride. All right, last thing to do. Jace, give us these frustrating clues for the random Raven one more time. Yes, so clue number one. This player was drafted by the Ravens in the sixth round of the 2007 NFL Draft. Number two, the Michigan product appeared in eight games his rookie year, before missing the entire 2008 season due to injury. Clue number three. After playing the first two games of the 2009 season, this player was traded to the New England Patriots for a conditional seventh-round pick. That pick never materialized, however, as the Patriots cut this player the following week before re-signing him to their practice squad ahead of a Week 4 game against the then 3-0 Ravens. Following that contest, the Ravens re-signed this player off the Patriots practice squad, and he stuck around for the remainder of the 2009 season, all of the 2010 season, and appeared in a few games in 2011, which ended up being his final season in the NFL. And, uh, clue number five. 
This player, who wore number 54 and is referred to as a, quote, special teams standout on his Wikipedia page, appeared in 44 games overall for the Ravens, but is credited with zero starts, just one pass deflection, and 38 total tackles. And then just kind of a bonus I enjoyed was, on his pro football reference transaction page, the Ravens have signed him on four different occasions, released or waived him four different times, placed him on IR three times, and traded him once. So he was a guy the Ravens kept adding, releasing, re-adding, releasing, uh, and he wore number 54, and that's about all there is to know about him, even though he was around for about five years. So right at the end here, I was thinking of it, and I, I have it now. I have the name, Antonio. I don't know if you want to uh, garner a guess first. I have a guess, but this guy must, must have gotten a start. I'm, I'll throw it out, and then you can go from there. I, the only name I can come up with is Zach Orr. But that guy had to start games and like do significant things in the NFL, so it, it's not him. Zach Orr was one of your random Ravens, Antonio, years ago, and was had like a hundred tackles in one year as well. All I right, was Tim. thinking like, so I'm just saying. I was just thinking. Sorry, sorry. I, for some reason, the name David stuck in my head. I was like David M. Something I can't think. And then all of a sudden, I don't know why, from the deep recesses of this mind that's filled with useless knowledge. The name Prescott Burgess oh came to gosh. the fold. And it, I believe this random raven is Prescott Burgess. It is Prescott wow. Burgess. Too. Wow. And a, a ra- <laughs> the, the, maybe the greatest name in the NFL? <laughs> Great name. Great name. Holy moly. Uh, I, I think I saw him in the background of a special teams play of a old Ravens game I must have watched on YouTube. That's the only place I could think why this name lodged into my brain. But, uh. Yeah, it's, this is Random Raven, and uh, I think this is, this is a, a very strong candidate from an, an era we like, a guy who was around a bunch, but didn't play all that much. And just the perfect special team standout being appropriately wanted by the New England Patriots uh, and fought over between the Ravens and the Patriots. Jace, that's a fantastic choice, a great name, an okay player, uh, but a special team standout on playoff teams with the Baltimore Ravens in that early Joe Flacco Harbaugh era. All right. Um, and great job with by Tim with pulling that name out. Um, that's going to do it for us, guys. The Ravens, three and two, first place by the skin of our teeth. Uh, and now, now we soar uh, with wins. Let, try, time to stack wins on wins here uh, and make a name, make a name in the AFC for Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey. I am Antonio Rivera. Thank you for listening to us as always on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.